Hey, this is Jonathan. Thanks for tuning in to Inauthentic. This week's episode, I had a chance to sit down with Janice Frazier, who is, among other things, the author of Farther, Faster, and Far Less Drama. It's a great book on how to reduce stress and make progress. And we got into a really interesting set of conversations around balancing, uh, in particular, like, you know, the mess that all of our personal lives really are uh, in this world, and how do we show up with excellence in the world. And Janice was very vulnerable with us and shared a lot of her struggles and talked about her family and and a lot of the things that uh, helped her make sense of her world. I think you'll get a lot out of the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, Janice, thanks so much for joining us on the Inauthentic podcast. I had the opportunity to listen to one of your talks recently, and there there was so much in there about authenticity, your own journey, um, some of the things that you've struggled with that you and I have in common, which we'll we'll get into. Uh, But I'd love for you to just um, help our listeners get to know you a little bit in the work that you're doing today and kind of how you came to do the work that you do these days. Well, thank you so much for including me, and um, I'm really glad to be here. So, mm. so that's that's one thing. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I work in a couple different capacities at this point. I have what um, my friend Christina Wallace calls a portfolio life, where mm. I kind of assemble my career um, from a handful of things that I really am passionate about. And you know, one of the threads that I pull on consistently is innovation in very large organizations. Um, in order, I think, for us as a globe to get out of the mess we're in, we need our biggest institutions to be able to adapt and change and to make better decisions. So, so that's one thing that I do. Um, and and another thing that I do is I go to the other end of the spectrum and I help very very early stage founding stage companies um, as an advisor. And I, you know, have a very wide range of, you know, five or six advisory startups that I work with on a regular basis that I've been doing for a long time. Like one of them is a space plane. Another one is a feminist co-working space. Like it, yeah. it kind of, I choose the person, not, not the project. And, you know, in between those two things, I've been able to see a whole lot of leaders in action. And that led to, there's a little right there over my shoulder. My husband and I released a book um, earlier this year called Farther, Faster, and Far Less Drama. Mm. And it's about how do you make important progress without all of the stress and anxiety that, you know, often comes with it. So, Mm. yeah. So, so that's how I spend my days and it keeps me on my toes and it's very interesting. Nice. Well, so when we when we talk with guests uh, here on the show, a lot of the times uh, their journey is very different than mine. In your case, you know, having listened to some of your personal history, we, we share a lot in common. Interesting. And one of the things that I wanted to get into a little bit is you, you really learned something important about yourself in reflecting on your childhood, in reflecting on your mm. family, some of those dynamics. And of course, as, you know, as kids... Uh, we we don't always we we have a lot of feelings. We have very strong feelings, mm-hmm. oftentimes, but we don't have a lot of perspective on why mm-hmm. things were the way they were and and how it impacted us. And you really you know you took the, those learnings and and built at least some of, if not a lot of, your professional life uh, based on what you learned about yourself and about you know group dynamics and those kinds of things. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about like what were those initial insights when you realized 
uh, hey, eine Minute bitte, like something's wrong here, right? Okay, right. Uh, something, something's wrong here. Uh, and I'm starting to get a sense for what it is and how it impacted your way of thinking. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing you know, that component into the conversation. It, it, it has been a very long journey to figure out how messed up my childhood was. I mean, it, it, it still sometimes feels a little unbelievable to me. And it's not that like mine is worse than anybody else's or whatever. Like, it's not about that comparison. It's about, um, really noticing how it affects me as an adult. And the, the short version is that I was born into a severely mentally ill family and it was sort of a variety pack of mental illnesses. Mm. Um, and it was, almost a relief, maybe totally a relief when, you know, the diagnoses started to roll in as the mental health field matured, we learned more and more about what was going on, what the dynamics really were. But, you know, there was bipolar disorder and I have a schizophrenic sister and a brother with a personality disorder. I mean, it was a, it was a mess. And I didn't know any of those words when I was young. I just knew my life and I mm. knew how to survive in my life. And the the beginning of the unveiling that would continue for 40 years plus, I think, was when my parents got divorced in the mid-70s. You know, at the time, divorce was still a relatively new mass phenomenon. And everyone was so concerned, you know, oh, there's a third grade girl with her parents getting divorced. It must be, a, you know, what a disaster. It was like, God, that was the probably the best thing that my parents could have possibly done, right? Um, but that led me to the awareness that that wasn't supposed to be how it is. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I remember, and I actually in sixth grade wrote a paper about my first phone call to a mental health helpline. I was in mm. Kent, Ohio. Um, it was called Town Hall 2. And I called it and I was like, there's this stuff going on at home. I don't know what to do. And they talked to me. And that was mm. my first outreach for help. And and if I if I had to thank one thing and be really grateful for one thing in my life, it was that I had this impulse to bring in wise educators. Mm. And they were that phone call was an impulse to bring in a wise educator. And so, you know, fast forward 30 plus years, I don't even know how many years, um, to about you know, maybe a decade ago, um, I had a problem at work and it was a consistent problem. I was just showing up really rigid and kind of hard to get along with. I was doing my best to be responsible for the, at the company. I was in a very senior leadership position. I was getting paid a ton of money, right? I was supposed to be this competent person, but I was really just being very difficult. Mm. And, and I was doing my best and I was trying. And so that led me to seek out um, something that I learned about called dialectical behavioral therapy training. So I never was a DBT patient, but I went to these training classes and I, I continued to go for a year and a half. And they taught me coping skills and they validated that I happened to have an extreme amount of feelings in mm -hmm. my life. And, and so that really helped me to see the applicability in my daily work life of mental health coping skills and particularly mindfulness skills. Mm. So, you know, like you can pull on any of these threads. There are tons of threads here to pull on, but, but that real conscious awareness and synthesis of 
you know, how do I apply mental health training in my daily work to be more effective as an executive Mm. to get more done? That was the real genesis. Yeah. And, you know, there, things go in and out of fashion in, you know, psycho-spiritual land. For sure. And, uh, you know, one thing which I think is coming back into fashion, at least I'm going to try to help it come back into fashion, uh, which has been out of fashion lately, because there's the, you know, we get this reflexive, like, oh, we don't want to look back. You know, we don't want, you know, that's not important. Just move forward, create new goals. And there's a whole kind of positive thinking, we might say magical thinking approach that, that becomes fashionable. And then at some point people go, wait, all right, well, that doesn't totally work. Uh, It's not that there's nothing to it, but what you're pointing to, which is really central to this, to this task of authenticity is making those connections, right? Is to see, okay, so here's how I'm showing up in the world at at work in your case, you know, whatever's going on for, for a listener as you're hearing this, but to learn, and it's not always obvious, what's the connection Mm. between how am I showing up today in my world? You, in, in your case, it was, oh, I'm, uh, there's this awareness. I'm showing up as in this rigid way. It's not because of a lack of good intent. It's not because I'm not compensated well. It's not because the people around me are all idiots, although, although maybe some of them were. Uh, it's possible. Of course, but of course. It's all there's them. Always, there's always that, right? But there's an ownership of saying, oh, I'm showing up in this way. Why? Yeah. And that inquiry to go back and look in the mirror and say, okay, there's a bunch of stuff that happened to me doesn't make my parents evil. It doesn't make my society evil. It doesn't make, you know, this, that, or the other person, you know, terrible, you know, irretrievable soul. It just means it's what happened. And it has an enormous impact on how we show up at work. And I've had so many conversations with people over the years where when you, you know, you peel back the onion a little bit, you know, and they, and you ask them some questions about, you know, why they're showing up in a certain way it's like an elevator shaft opens up and it goes right down to some of this deep emotional terrain. And, yeah. and yet there's still such a stigma. Uh, you know, we're still babies, right? In accepting <laughs> that those connections are real, they are powerful, and they, they deeply, deeply inform our ability to function, right? To cope, um, especially in, in, in high stress environments. So I didn't really have, it wasn't so much of a question of more just, you know, I, I really love this, terrain. And I think people need to hear more examples like yours of people who are, who have been successful, who, uh, who have struggled, who have faced challenges and who are willing to make the connection. Mm. So, so I want to actually do make a segue where I do have a question. There's a, so you and I give a very similar talk on a, on a set of topics and it's and it. And the talk goes roughly like this. I'm paraphrasing yours and mine together, which is the world is really screwed up. Uh, we have this cascade of terrible uh, events from pandemics to uh, George Floyd murder, to COVID, to inflation, to multiple wars, to divisive politics, to, you know, you name it, right? Yep. It's like yep. on and on and on. Every year we add three more seemingly. <laughs> right? Seems, yes. And, uh, and we're, uh, now we've got AI, right? Like that, that's like, that's a whole right. new kind massive of fear factor, disruptor. massive yep. disruptor. And we're, so we're now, we just keep raising the stakes, right? On how difficult it is to show up as yourself in the world authentically, because it's getting more stressful, right? The, the data on, you know, mental, emotional health, uh, is, you know, it's through the roof. 
right? In terms of you know the loneliness, the isolation. And so, you know, what's your, you know, I know you talk about that. You know, what's your what's your take on where we are in that cycle? Like what's it gonna take for things to turn for us to and we can we can see a light, we can be optimistic and say, hey, we're gonna figure this out. But how exactly uh, are yeah. we going to figure this out? What's your, what's your take when you're seeing all of those, you know, all those dynamics at play? You know, it's it, it, a couple things really strike me about this. One is for some people, it might be harder to show up as your authentic self, but for others, and I would include myself in this, I can't help it anymore. I can no longer. It is so stressful out there. It is so stressful that I can no longer mask and go to work and pretend that everything is fine in my internal life and my external life. Mm. Like it's just not, it's not okay. Right. And at the same time, and this gets back to that, you know, how did I make the connection and I need to be effective. And so when you're like, it is too effortful for me to mask and pretend that I have this glorious, fantastic, perfect inner life and that the world is not on fire. Right. Like the world is literally on fire right? In some places. And, and so if we stop masking and pretending, then we can show up and say, I have a complicated story and I need to be effective in this life. And I need to be effective in this heroic, you know, work that I'm trying to do to help the world be a better place. And, and I want you to do the same. I want you, you know, whomever you are to be doing the work that you think is the most important in the world. And I want you to do it without spending any time or effort pretending to be something that you're not. So there's a, like, it takes courage to be willing to show up and be vulnerable. But it also, once you start to do it, you start, you can find ways to do it that keep you safe Hmm. and that are effective, right? And so... You know, one of the things about my DBT experience that I was referring to a few minutes ago is that it really wasn't backward looking. It was the skills portion of that is not about opening up family of origin. It's about how do you be effective given the state that whatever that circumstance led you to. So where you are right now, how can you be effective in this moment, given the complicatedness of the back? And that was a transformational for me, hmm. right? So a lot of the sort of therapy dogma kind of stuff is about managing. And I put a real emphasis on the word managing the pain that you walk through life with. The, this There's a third wave of kind of therapy, mindfulness, et cetera, that's happening right now that is about healing. That's not about just managing the the suffering, right? It's about reducing suffering by using certain neurological mind-body connection techniques to actually resolve old traumas. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, that that prompt, you know, that DB, DBT brought me was how can you be effective in this moment given the complications of the past, right? That helped me turn a corner to how can I suffer less? Um, and, and that feeds right into this professional vision that I have, which is that I want the world to suffer less. And, and so let's all just engage in that conversation wherever it shows up, whether it shows up in a leadership offsite, you know, that I'm facilitating next week, right. Or if it shows up in my, at my kitchen table with my son, 
you know, who's in college and, you know, people are fighting because there are Palestinian students and Israeli students and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. So wherever it shows up, we need to be effective. We need to be truthful and we need to waste less time and effort trying to pretend to be something we're not. That's kind of where I come together on all of it. And, you know, I think that the, um, you know, to share, uh, I'll share a little bit of uh, the complexity, uh, you know, in my life right now, which I know is we, you and I share, we talked a little bit about yeah. it off air, is I have an older brother who was you know, deeply disturbed as a child. I have a very complicated relationship with him and with his existence in my life. And uh, we just found out, you know, recently that he took his life. I'm so sorry. And, yeah, thank you. And, and, um, and just to, to share this, my brother also took his life. It was in 2008, so. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, it's a, it's so complicated, right? Like it's not something that I, um, I have no desire or intention to hide from that. It's real. Anyone who knows me, you know, knows that we've had a complicated, you know, history, he and I, and I didn't know what to do with that. You know, when I was 15 or 18 or 25, even I had no idea sort of how to hold, uh, that trauma. We, we did not have a good relationship. I was afraid of him, right? He was, You know, uh, it was he was a very very difficult character in the story of my life, and so you know to feel the you know all the emotions that I feel around that you know it's sad in a way. There there there's a ton of relief because he yep. was a tortured yep. soul, and you know what he what he put my parents through, what he put all of us through. Yes, right. So it's complicated, right? And and there's a you know what's been amazing to me in terms of taking things out of the shadows is so I'm a surfer. I surf you know most mornings here in Southern California. And I bumped into a friend of mine, you know, getting out of the water. And she asked me how, you know, how was the holidays? And I told her what was going on. And she said, you know, me too. You know, I'm dealing Mm. with this with my son right now. And he's 27. And we're, you know, we're going through this. And then I bumped to, and I walked up the stairs off the beach. And I bumped to another surfing pal. He's like, oh yeah, me too. My sister is homeless. Mm. And we're dealing with drugs. And and it's just, you know, it's one after the other. And the more we talk about these things, the more it's out in the open, we realize it's everywhere. Right. And it's not something, it's not some distant struggle. It's not some abstract thing. Right. It's every, it's everybody. Everybody's got uh, some some person in their life, maybe in their immediate family, but if not, pretty darn close. Yep. Uh, where, there's a, where there's this deep struggle where people are struggling to do all the things you described. One, to stabilize, right? Yep. And, as you, and I think as you rightfully said, you know, we have to stabilize in order to, we have to be able to turn a corner to say, okay, well, I, I can't even think about healing first. I got to stabilize. But once I do that, what what right. what is healing? How do I get underneath? And there's so many cool things happening. Assisted therapy, psychedelic assisted therapy. Yes. You know, there's so many cool, you know, paradigms and protocols, including the ones that have been around for thousands of years, meditation, mindfulness, right. <laughs> you know, all of those things. Like we have so much technology at our disposal to deal with those things. But the first step is we got to get it out of the shadows, keep it out of the shadows. Um, and be willing to have conversations like this one. So I appreciate being able to, you know, talk about that with you, you know, here on the show. In- inevitably, when I share a story, I get stories back, and it it was a really vulnerable thing for me over the summer when I started to talk about the the, the true story of my, you know, context, my childhood. Um, it, I was very nervous to go on, you know, what in my field is the premier stage and say, hey, I have you know, I have a schizophrenic sister and a brother with narcissistic personality disorder. He took his own life. My father had bipolar. My mother was suicidally depressed. They always weren't like, like to say all of that as a preamble was unconventional 
And I wasn't sure how it would go. Mm. And the response that I got in the moment was a little bit, first it was a little stunned. And then it was an outpouring of, you know, comments about people in their own struggles and the amount of relief that people feel when they're just allowed to say, you know what, I'm a competent professional and I deal with this other thing. I'm a competent professional and I have chronic illness. I'm a competent professional and I have a mentally ill family. Like this, um, there's a mythology that, that I think has been, I'm Gen X, right? So I was raised with this idea that you had to look a certain way and act a certain way and fit a certain profile in order to be respectable. And I think that, you know, Gen Z, these younger people are perhaps beyond that. Mm. I don't know. I'm hoping yeah. um, that that there's perhaps a generational embracing of it can be complicated and you can be excellent yes. in your job, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the the concept of being a professional with a complicated backstory, like I didn't have any role models for that you know, growing up. And so, you know, I love that we're having this conversation in a professional context about the complexities of real life. Yeah. You know, when I uh, started out, my first job was as a corporate lawyer, as a lowly first year associate in a big Manhattan law firm. And, you know, if you, when you work in close quarters with people, you learn about their lives, right? You overhear phone calls and you hear about the, you know, terrible marriages and the you know all the, the the you know the, the all the bad stuff and the kids who won't talk to the parents and you know, like all the all the trauma you get to hear about it but there's but it's all in the shadows right, right. and right. i think you know what wh- what's really interesting i think about the place we're in right now is that there's been a like if let's say if the pendulum swung from you know you got to be all buttoned up and perfect and you know show up a certain way and the pendulum is swung to the other side wh- where we are at least in my view you know you know heading into 2024 is there's a there's an understandable, I think, an understandable question and a resistance to the messiness, which is which is exactly in line with what your time is like. We have to be productive. We have jobs. We're being paid. We have to show up well. It's an and. And I think what yes. people are when people are pushing back, they're pushing back on a. It's maybe it's a small group of people, but it's a loud group of people. I think who are who are using the mess as an excuse to not show up fully. And there, and there's, there is, there, there was too much, this is my personal view, too much understanding, like a misplaced empathy, a misplaced, um, like, well, whatever's going on, we just have to deal with whatever's going on instead of like actually creating some boundaries around that and holding that end. Right. And I think, it's like there the nuance is in the middle, right? It's it's and and you were very intentional about how you said it. It's like it's a mess and I show up with excellence. Both can be true at the same time. Right. And we need feedback from the people around us when we're erring on either side of that. Hey, you're too right. much, you're too much, you're too buttoned up right now. Like lighten up. It's okay. You can talk about this. Or you're too much in your mess right now. You gotta show up. And we like we need productivity. We, you know, and and I and I see, you know, the work that we that we do with organizations. People are struggling mightily to just name that, just to say, yeah. hey, it's an end, right? That's okay. So I want to give people permission. It's not just because you need people to show up well, to be productive, to show up with their best professional self. 
doesn't mean no empathy, no curiosity, no understanding. It's an end. That's difficult, but that's where we're at. It's it's difficult. It it is difficult. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I actually don't talk about this as much as I probably should. Um, during the pandemic, I ceased being able to be effective in my work. And I took time off. I took six months and I checked myself into a mental health facility because I knew that I was, I, I had recently discovered the diagnosis of complex PTSD. Mm. I started to do that exploration and it made me much more vulnerable, much more volatile. I needed to fall apart in the most effective, productive way. And mm-hmm. that meant, and I didn't tell anybody what I was doing because it was still very shameful for me. Mm. I let them think I had cancer or something. I right. I put my autoresponder saying it was on extended medical leave. You can contact my assistant. And I disappeared. Mm. And I I was out for six months. I was inpatient for five weeks. I used all of that time to go as deep into all of the recovery modalities that I could I found a trauma specific place um, and I I went all the way deep into healing my trauma. And so, you know, I, I've done every modality of trauma healing work that I could get my hands on, including ketamine, right? Like, mm-hmm. and and it's been three years and I'm better than ever. Like literally, I am more physically and mentally healthy than ever. But that, and just, there was that moment where it just became very, very difficult. And I needed to go all in, you know, the same way that I go all in on work, I needed to go all in on my, my mental health, on myself. And I did. And the idea that, that is really archaic that I would love to eradicate is that deliberately choosing to go all in on your mental health is not a sign of weakness. It's it's a productive healing thing. And it doesn't mean that you're more prone to be inpatient again later. It means if you choose to approach it this way, it means you can actually take care of some of the junk, yeah. right? And so, you know, so that, as I said, like, that's a story I don't really tell. Hmm. And maybe I should start telling it. And this feels like a safe place in front of a podcast audience of people I don't know. <laughs> what what safer place that. than that? Yeah. Right. Well, and yeah. So, yeah, I, I love that you shared that. And I think, you know, a couple of things, some people, you know, I'm, I have, I have a similar backstory in terms of taking significant time. I mean, really years on some level yeah. uh, to focus on my own mental and emotional health, not in the same way as you, but you know, I did work for parts of it, but I really went kind of off the grid um, yep. in in multiple ways and exploring a lot of those modalities, uh, also including ketamine, uh, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, but the so for some people, they might think, well, I can't do that, right? Like I have, uh, I don't, you know, I'm I'm barely making ends meet, and there's some societal, structural, corporate, you know, like you know, when I think about, you know, my mother is a psychologist and uh, clinical psychologist, and and you know, comes from academia. And, you know, I grew up in a, in a family where we would, where August was holiday, right? Like the right. month of August, that was just how they did it. There's very few professions or, or places. So for a lot of people, um, that might seem like a foreign thing, but, it, but sometimes it may be required. And what it reminded me of, actually, there's a, not to make light of it, but there's a really funny book called How to Be Idle. I don't know if you've ever mm. come across this book. It's one that I recommend. It's hilarious, uh, written by an English guy. 
and he basically talks about the lost art of you know time, right? And and the the, the very transactional world that we live in. And one of the things that he talked about, which I thought was fascinating, was he said, you know, not so long ago, well, maybe a hundred years ago, or it seems like a long time ago, is the prescription that you would get as a stressed out, you know, somebody would be eight weeks at the sea. Right. Taking right. the waters. Yeah, taking the waters, right? Yeah. And so yeah. this was like, this is an this is not a new concept. <laughs> That's right? right. It's like you need to back the fuck up and yep. take some time for yourself and figure it out. We'll be here when you're done. But our society is not set up for that anymore. I love that you brought this up because that's what we called it. Mm. Like my daughter is 35 and she's you know very smart and um and she's like, you know, mom, just say you're taking the waters. That's yeah. it. You're we're and so that became our thing. We're I'm take I'm I'm going to bath. <laughs> take yes. the waters. Yes. And you know, and and I, I, how did we lose sight of that? And mm. uh, and I'll be honest, like it, it's not an accident that it was after my son was settled into college and doing okay, right? And my husband is employed, was employed at a at a very stable job with excellent health insurance, that that was the time that I happened to encounter complex PTSD and some of these modalities and I fell apart, yeah. right? Like, like my psyche chose the right moment when I wasn't needed when there was a little gap and a little yeah. opportunity and it ran for it. Right. Yes. And, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know why or how I was able to choose those moments, but I took the opportunity <laughs> to fall apart <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when it presented itself at the right time. And yeah. so, you know, there were other times in my life where I could not have done that. I yeah. just could not have, I had to keep myself, you know, I had to keep myself tightly wound. And, um, yeah, there, there's a, there's a, I'm going to give a very not research backed data point. Uh, just some anecdotal phenomenon is the number of times that I have seen people, employees of mine, you know, clients, colleagues, people I know, they go through the whole year. And then, you know, for people who, you know, take, don't, don't take vacations really ever, they take a vacation after not having taken one in a really long time, then they get sick. Of course, yes. And they, right? It's like the consciousness finds a way and it says, I'm going to take you out. Oh, you're not in your stressed out type A, you know, crazy uh, world where the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you go at night, you're working. Okay, you're down, you're out. Yep. And uh, and it's an amazing, probably a lot of people, you know, are nodding their heads right now, like you've seen this and it's a window. And so if you know, you know, even if you don't have the moment in your life to do like what Janice is describing or or times that I've you know taken extended periods. If you don't have that opportunity, find another one. Right there, there, there are micro versions of that. Uh, yes. There are people, there are places, there is, there are different ways. There's so much available now. Um, and if you want some support, you know, you can reach out to us. I'm sure you know Janice or I will, will can give you an idea of where to where to where to point your ship. But when you you know when you see those things, like don't set it up in your mind like oh well, unless I have four months to really fall apart, I can't do anything. Because that's not the case. There, there are some things you can't do um, unless you have time to really fall apart. But there are other things that you can do um, along the way. And I think that's part of, you know, we have to rebuild um, some of the systems in work on teams, in organizations, yeah. in families, in communities, where we do create spaces for people to fall apart a little bit. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I, as an employer... Right. It's been a long time since I managed a team, ran a team. Right. I've been an independent person, independently employed person for a long time. 
But when it comes time to set goals and boundaries, right? These are the these are the two mechanisms that we as employers have. We have we have goals and objectives and we have the boundary conditions. And and when we think about goals and boundaries, it seems possible to have a more holistic view and a more long-term view of our relationship with those employees, those people, if if when we set our goals and boundaries, we take a more holistic interest in their current state and their current um, stressors. And and I guess I want to I want to bring in the idea of diversity and specifically intersectional diversity here. As we as employers try to craft a future that is more inclusive, you know, we're from our, my privileged, you know, well-educated white woman in a world that likes, you know, relatively attractive, well-educated white women. Like I have a lot of privilege. Um, And when you start to layer in, you know, the, the, the biases and the struggles that come with being othered, right? Being neurodiverse, being disabled, being indigenous, being, you know, black, et cetera. We can just assume that all of us at various times in our lives have struggles that we cannot see or control, right? That don't show on the surface. And that some days we're going to be in a stressed condition and some days we're going to be in a more peak flow optimal condition and that if we all can just agree that we want to be ambitious on our peak days and we want to be compassionate on our unpeak days right we're going to have inherently a more inclusive workplace um and I don't know. I, I feel like these things are all coming up and together culturally now. And it's not, maybe not a coincidence because mm. they all seem to connect yes. into a, into a story. And I, yeah. So. Yeah. And that's, um, that's uh, in many ways why I called the podcast, what I did inauthentic, because for exactly that reason, there are all these streams that are coming together. If you look at the news, it looks horrible. It is horrible. It is. Mm -hmm. But if you zoom out and you can stay zoomed out for just enough time, you can see the context of consciousness shifting, moving from less wholeness to more wholeness over time. And it's, it's visible. It's palpable. It doesn't take the pain away from any human being going through an incredibly difficult time. Uh, but you can see it. And, you know, just as you said earlier on, most people don't have a role models for what does it look like to be complicated and messy and still be really effective at what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people don't have that. They, there's also very few conversations like this one to talk about that shift mm-hmm. and to talk about p- putting aside whether it's in business or not. We're just not good at talking about things that are not linear. We're not good at talking about things that don't have easy you know, beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> We're just not good at it. It's not, it's not, it's not part of our language. We've lost so much. And we could say, you know, indigenous cultures 
are far better at understanding those contexts and That's right. and being with longer term narratives. We're just not good at it. It's not our it's not our superpower. Let's say uh, in the West, in particular. Uh, but I think it's really it's really important to just name because it's another version of saying it's a mess right now, and we don't know how it's going to end. We can be optimistic, uh, but it's going to take what you're describing. It's going to take sitting in that ambiguity sitting in that uncertainty, asking questions that are that don't have easy answers, talking with people we're not used to talking to, accepting their point of view as valid from their perspective, even if we disagree with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's all of these things that are the kinds of stuff that I know the folks that, that listen to me and listen to this podcast, it's the kind of stuff that people do in their private spaces. And you have we have these powerful peak moments, you know, whether it's uh, you know, in a, on a weekend or or in some kind of you know orchestrated, architected moment that we that we engage in our personal life, and I think it's it's all just being blasted out into the open now, and that's to me is is really exciting, uh, and it gives a venue for for so many more of these types of conversations uh, to to take down these walls once and for all for the betterment of everyone. So I, I you know it's like to be really depressed about the world and to be really optimistic at the same time, I think is kind of the, right. the takeaway that I, uh, that I take, you know, pretty much every single day. I, I certainly share both the optimism and the hope, um, that, that you're describing and the real, um, I guess I have fear. I, I have both hope and fear. And the fear comes from watching, you know, autocratic governments get elected, right? It comes from seeing the impact of climate change. And, you know, I, you know, I fear for the redwoods here. I live in Northern California and the coast redwoods are my absolute favorite living things on the planet. They're amazing. They're stunning. Each one is an ecosystem. And I, I have fear, right, mm-hmm. for some of these really... Um, you know, yeah. And, and so again, I I come back to how can we be ambitious and effective in this moment, given that we live in a state of somewhat, you know, dissonant, you know, beliefs and, and that requires more space and time, more mindfulness. So, you know, I, I spend a lot of time just being quiet. I do. And I still have a very full rich life. I'm still, I've still got a great social life. I've still got a great professional life, but I'm also really building in time to, to just be. Hmm. And, um, you know, uh, there's a, a woman that I'm, that I'm very close to now. Uh, we both were figuring out our complex PTSD at the same time during the pandemic. And, you know, in the way that pandemic caused social isolation, it also caused really intentional, like friendship building for some of us. And I certainly benefited from that. And, you know, we would sit outside and have coffee, you know, on a park bench in San Francisco. And we would talk about our, our, you know, complex PTSD, struggle, awareness, whatever journey, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for that friendship. And, um, you know, the legacy of that, what that has left in my life is just really valuing 
those moments really helped me to see the value of unstructured time that was stolen from the middle of a day to think about something that really mattered. Mm. Right. And, you know, I, I no longer feel a need for every minute of every day to be scheduled. And so I have my assistant give me a dog walk in the morning every day, not just because my dog needs a walk. <laughs> my dog would be fine with a 20 minute walk, you know, at 630. I, I take an hour and I put on a podcast or I, I give myself the gift of time. Mm. Um, and what I get for that is the ability to be more ambitious more effective to be able to find my flow state. And, you know, I really think about how do elite athletes manage their energy. And I try to, I try to manage my energy so that I can really have a, have a great life. And, yeah. you know, I, there's one other part of this that I think I, I want to be clear about, and that's that I don't believe in work-life balance. I just, I think it's fiction. I think there is no such thing. It is just life. There is one life. I have, I have one currency and that's my time. And I can be really intentional um, about how I use that time. And so for me, work is an economic imperative. I get money from it, but it's also intellectual connection. It's community it like so i know which parts of my life work fulfills and is way more than just the money and so um you know when i think about crafting my life in a way that is enriching that means that i want to be really good and enjoying my work and i want to be a good friend and i want to be a good mom and enjoy my momhood and I want to lay around and watch stupid television. Like, like it's, I get to have, I get to have, it's not about having it all. I get to have the pieces that I choose. Yes. Right. Um, so. Well, I appreciate those, uh, those words and being able to steal a, an hour of unstructured time with you uh, in this, in the middle of this day to talk about your world and the work you've been doing you. and what's going on in your heart and mind. And, um, uh, appreciate you taking some time to chat with us and we'll share some links uh, in the show notes of uh, ways that people can find you. Uh, any any final thoughts in addition to all the things you've already shared with our listeners, <laughs> but um, any final things that you're thinking about, you know, maybe as we head into this next year? Well, there are tons of things I'm thinking about heading into the new year, but, but the one I want to leave with is that um, I am happy to talk about this stuff if people need, if people want to follow up, you know, and you know, you can find me on LinkedIn, you can hit me up and you can say, Hey, you know, I don't know, <laughs> where did you go when you checked yourself in? Right. Like <laughs> Whatever, whatever so, it is. Yeah. I just want to, mm -hmm. I just want to put that invitation out there that, you know, yeah, it's, it's hard and scary when you start to look down that, what did you call it? An elevator shaft. Yep. And, um, and it, it doesn't have to be quite so hard or scary or lonely. No, thanks, Janice. Really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, and look forward to having you back someday. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Inauthentic. As a new podcast, if you enjoyed the conversation, please be sure to get subscribed and leave us a review, either Apple or Spotify or both. Share it with your friends, family, colleagues, maybe even your arch enemy. 
and you'll be getting new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for listening.